Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Red Run Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week I explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mysteries that surround it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. So this week I'm going to do something a little different. Instead of just focusing on one case, I'm going to talk about current cases in the news. There are some cases that haven't gotten a lot of attention, and then there are some brand new cases with not much information. So if it's true crime and it's been in the news lately, hopefully I'll cover it. We're going to go from Russian cannibals, the Long Island serial killer, to trials like Holly Bobo. So it's my 10th episode, kind of a celebration. I wanted to try something a little different. Well, you can't segue into this without starting with Russian cannibals, right? On September 11th, construction workers doing road work discovered a black Samsung phone. So this is in Krasnodar. It's southern Russia, about five hours from Sochi, where the Olympics were held. Obviously curious, the workers scrolled through the photos on the phone. And to their horror, they found photos of a man with dismembered body parts in his mouth. So what do you do in that case? You call the police. The next day, a woman's remains were found near the property of a military aviation academy. Some reports say her belongings were found in a bag and her chopped up remains were found in a bucket. Others say her remains were found in the bag. Police traced the phone to 35-year-old Dmitry Bashkiv. And that's through the SIM card. Coincidentally, Dmitry also worked at the Military Aviation Academy. So at first he said he didn't kill the woman in the photo. He just merely found her remains and took the selfies with her parts. Later, he admitted that he and his wife, 42-year-old Natalia, also worked at the academy as a nurse, killed that woman. 
In fact, they may be responsible for over 30 deaths, all of which involved cannibalism. Apparently, they used dating sites to find their victims, and it's theorized they used the drug Coraval to drug them. So Coraval is a mild tranquilizer based on valerian root and phenobarbital. It's very popular in the Soviet Union as a heart medication. So once drugged, the women would be skinned alive, parts were eaten, and the rest were frozen or packed in the jars filled with saline solution. So think of that next time you put your contacts in. The earliest killing may have been in 1999. A photo showing a dismembered head on a serving platter surrounded by oranges has a timestamp with that year's date. At one time, both Dmitri and his wife worked at the military base in the kitchen. Officials say they tried to slip canned human meat to unsuspecting soldiers at the military academy. He and his wife were living in a hostile accommodation at the academy. Natalia reportedly tried to sell some special meat pies to a local cafe. The owner said she came in and asked a lot of questions about where they got their food and how fresh was it. According to a neighbor, Natalia once said, I make meat pies for extra money. When asked exactly what she put in the pies other than meat, she just said, whatever's around. So it sounds like they had a bunch of bodies around for those meat pies. The story just gets more and more bizarre. Police searched their home and found lots of incriminating evidence. There was a video tutorial on cannibalism. I don't know what that could be like at all. Imagine that TED Talk. They also found 19 pieces of human skin removed from dead people, it said. A glass jar with a human hand, pickled human remains, lots of photos of body parts, and frozen meat of unknown origin in the kitchen. So far, police have identified seven victims, but the couple have only admitted to killing two. This story is so crazy it sounds like a farce. The media is wondering how the two got away with their antics for so long, and new details emerge daily. So for true crime fanatics, you'll be familiar with the name of Holly Bobo. Many a podcast has been done on her case. Right now there's a trial going on in her case. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what happened, I'll catch you up to speed. So Holly Bobo disappeared from her home on April 13th, 2011. Her brother saw her in the woods it's around 8 a.m., with a man wearing camouflage. Her brother said they were kneeled down, talking back and forth. He said Holly sounded upset, although he couldn't hear exactly what was being said. And at one point, Holly's mother called home to speak to her brother, Clint. A neighbor had phoned her saying she heard a scream coming from the residence. Clint told her about Holly and the man, who he assumed was Holly's boyfriend, who'd been out hunting. Her mother told him, Clint, that's not Drew. Get a gun and shoot him. At this point, Clint still thought it was her boyfriend, Drew, and he was very hesitant. But a mother has an instinct, so she urged him to call 911. Clint then saw Holly and the man walk into the woods. He quickly went outside and he saw drops of blood on the carport, and he assumed that was Holly's. So he called 911, and from there she just disappeared. 
In September of 2014, Holly's partial remains were found by ginseng hunters in a wooded area of Tennessee, 20 miles from where she disappeared. She had a bullet hole in the back of her skull. They arrested six men in connection with the disappearance. Zach Adams, his brother Dylan, and their friend Jason Autry were charged with aggravated kidnapping, first-degree murder, and rape. Two other men, Jeffrey and Mark Piercy, were arrested and charged with tampering with evidence, although the charges were dropped. Another friend, Shane Austin, committed suicide. So reportedly, Zach Adams had raped and adopted Holly. His trial is the one going on now. I'm very happy to report that he's been sentenced to life without parole, plus 50 years in the death, rape, and abduction of Holly Bobo. Her mother got to face him in court. She said, I know my daughter had fought and fought hard for her life. And I know that she begged for her life because my daughter loved and enjoyed her life. But you chose to take that away from her, and you have shown absolutely no remorse for anything that you have done. So what he did to Holly was awful. She was beaten and raped. Adams thought he'd killed her. So she was in the back of his truck when he asked Autry for help in disposing of the body. His plan was to gut her and put her deep in, in the end of the river. But then Holly made a noise, alerting them to the fact that she was still alive. And that's when Adams shot her in the head. Even though this case was largely circumstantial, it was enough. Holly Bobo never got to become the nurse that she wanted to become. The only comfort to her family, I'm sure, is this conviction. Like a lot of true crime followers, I've been interested in this case for quite some time. I let out a yellow joy when I heard about the conviction. So it's truly, I think, one of the few times justice has been served. So from here, I'm going to go into another newly solved cold case. 30 years ago, after allegedly dressing as a clown and gunning down her boyfriend's wife in Florida, a woman has been arrested. Sheila Keen Warren, 54, was arrested in Washington County, Virginia, after a grand jury indicted her on first-degree murder charge. Back in 1990, Sheila Keen Warren wore an orange wig and white face paint while carrying two balloons, flowers, and a gun, and dressed like a clown. Her destination was the home of Marlene Warren. She knocked on the door, and when Marlene answered, she shot Marlene in the face. Marlene ended up dying days later. The case was very prominent in the news and made local kids afraid of clowns for years. So apparently Sheila and Marlene's husband Michael had been having an affair and she worked at Michael's car dealership. Almost immediately she was sought as a suspect in Marlene's death but no charges were ever brought. The balloons that the clown carried were sold exclusively at a shop across the street from Sheila's home. A spokesman for the Palm Beach Sheriff's Department said, it was the strangest thing I've seen in all of my 19 years in law enforcement. The story to me was a bit confusing, but apparently Sheila and Michael did have an affair and then married in 2002, and that's why they share the same last name. 
So he married the woman who dressed as a clown and murdered his wife. They were living together in Tennessee. Marlena told her family before her death that she was afraid her husband would kill her. She wanted to leave him, but the auto business and real estate properties that they owned were worth over $1 million were in her name, and it made for a messy divorce. In 2014, Palm Beach County reopened the case, this time using DNA analysis. Right now, there's no word yet if Michael Warren will be charged. It's such a weird case. I mean, who decides to dress as a clown to murder someone? So back in the news is creepy serial killer Todd Culhep. Culhep is the South Carolina real estate agent that is suspected of killing at least seven people. He's the one that kept Kayla Brown chained by her neck in a storage container after he killed her boyfriend. After finding and rescuing Kayla Brown, police linked Culhep to the cold case murders of four victims in a motorcycle shop in 2003. I'm sure you've probably seen the video of Kayla Brown being rescued from the shipping container in which she was held. So a woman has recently come forward admitting she was in a long-term relationship with Culhep. Holly Udy said he was a great boyfriend and treated her like a queen. She said she was completely unaware of this double life he was leading in the 10 years they dated. Well, maybe the fact that he served a 14-year sentence for raping a 14-year-old girl in 1986 might have clued you in. She said, I knew there was something about him, but I couldn't put my finger on it. She even gave him the money to purchase the storage container. I don't know, was she not curious as to why he needed a storage container? I'm no Sherlock, but that guy seems creepy as hell. I saw her in an interview, and she didn't seem as horrified as one might think about the whole situation. That was until a reporter told her Colehep talked of killing a lady named Holly. Colehep's also back in the news after authorities found some disturbing Amazon reviews of products that may be linked to the killer. The user is listed as me but the account is linked to his. In the spring of 2014, he reviewed dozens of items. And this is what he wrote about a knife. Haven't stabbed anyone yet, yet, but I'm keeping the dream alive. And when I do, it will be with a quality tool like this. On a lock review, he wrote solid locks. Have five on a shipping container, won't stop them but sure will slow them down until they are too old to care. For a shovel review, he said, keep in your car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full-size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. So not only is he a killer, but he's a smug troll who is politically incorrect. Amazon reviews must not be monitored. If anyone did read these, I'm sure they just thought he was trolling. No one could have seriously thought this guy was serious about what he was saying. But sadly, he was. He was hiding in plain sight and flaunting it. 
I seriously do not see how anyone could have dated someone for this long and not had an inkling that something was up. She's lucky to be alive. Kolhap also left reviews for a Nine West handbag, dog toys, two seasons of The Walking Dead, and a six-piece fondue set. Seriously, another bizarre case. His last review was for tactical gear, and this was around the time Kayla Brown and her boyfriend Charles Carver went missing. This guy is just seriously unbelievable. Sheriff's deputies found Brown chained like a dog in the container after using cell phone records to track her. She then told him how she'd been raped and kept prisoner. And when asked about her boyfriend, she told of how Callhub had murdered him and talked of murdering a girl he knew named Holly. So he's currently in jail awaiting trial. And let's hope in his case, justice is served also. So this next case has shades of Scott Peterson. In Baltimore, Maryland, pregnant teacher Laura Wallen went missing. Her family reported her missing when she didn't show up for school on September 5th. Her car was found not too far from her apartment complex. Her parents held a news conference offering a $25,000 reward for the information about their daughter. And sitting with them was Laura's boyfriend and father of the baby, 30-year-old Tyler Tessier. So he sat with the family appearing to cry. And I say appearing to cry because if you're like me, you might have noticed no tears were actually being shed by Tyler. Police suspect the man of the murder of Laura. They say his participation was staged so they could gather clues about the missing social studies teacher. Her remains were found in a shallow grave in Damascus, Maryland. It's a site Tyler visited several times while she was missing. She had been shot in the head. He apparently sent texts from her phone masquerading as her, claiming that the unborn baby wasn't Tyler's, but a former boyfriend's. Trouble is, he spelled the former boyfriend's name wrong. Police suspect he killed Laura after she discovered he was engaged to another woman. Her body was found in the same field that she had sent a picture of to her sister saying, Tyler has me on an adventure in the country. Not sure why, but it's for something waiting in a field. He was engaged to a woman named Christina Wagner. Despite that, he asked Laura's father for her hand in marriage. About a week before her death, she had texted the woman he was engaged to asking to meet up and talk. And she said to her, it's important that some things are cleared up. And I would imagine that if you were in my position, you'd want some answers as well. By no means is this an attempt at confrontation, just looking for an explanation woman to woman. Laura's sister said the text she received from her with Tyler posing as her sister said that she was 90% sure the baby wasn't his. And if he called to please tell him he's a great guy because I know I really hurt his feelings. And that's just gross. It's bad enough to murder this woman, but to plead for her sister to bolster his feelings is really disgusting. 
Police think he was trying to unsuccessfully shift suspicion onto her former boyfriend, Antoine Broadnell, but he kept spelling the name wrong, leading to suspicion. The thing in this case, as well as the Todd Colehub case, that really baffles me is these guys aren't the greatest catches. Neither one are suave, charismatic guys. It's not like we're talking about George Clooney here. I don't even see the appeal in either of them to be able to snag these sweet, trustworthy women. It's really odd. So he's being charged with murder, but not in the murder of the baby. I think maybe she was only four months along. It's sad. Homicide is actually one of the leading causes of death for pregnant women in the United States. 20% of women who die during pregnancy are murder victims. Criminal profiler Pat Brown explains the thinking of the murderous fathers. She's in the way. I made a mistake, and I think I will erase my mistake. It's really chilling to think about. I know for most couples, the women are busy nesting and thinking about the baby and the pregnancy, while a lot of the men think about the financial impact and worry about the future. I know that was the case with me and the father of my child. Luckily, most men aren't psychopaths who go on to murder their wives or girlfriends. Who knows how long this guy was going to carry on with this double life. It's a very sad ending. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So this next case is very new and super crazy and quite possibly the best reason to never do crystal meth. 43-year-old Christina Palmer Anderson was arrested in St. Louis and charged with attempted manslaughter, aggravated domestic abuse, and drug possession after castrating her husband, who she believed was cheating. These details are really crazy. Anderson, a heavy crystal meth user, returned from a weekend away from to find her husband having sexual relations with her meth dealer. So she spent some time sharpening her teeth using a nail file. She waited for him to return home, told him to wait for her in the bedroom, and tied him to the bed. She told him it was part of a sexual game. Anderson then tore off her husband's genitals with her teeth. She then went off to smoke some crystal meth while he was left lying in a pool of blood. He was able to untie himself and call for help, and that's how paramedics found them. Husband passed out from blood loss and wife smoking, smoking crystal meth. So when the police arrived, she said she was happy with what she did because he cheated on her. Doctors induced a coma to preserve his vital functions. He's currently stable but obviously will need many reconstructive surgeries. I told you that was wild. At first, I didn't even think it was a real story. But upon doing some research, I realized it was. You definitely have to Google a search of an image of Anderson. She looks like Laura Palmer's mother after a rough day. 
and a lot of math. Some of these stories are so crazy and bizarre. It might sound like I'm laughing, but I'm just baffled at the truth of them. Like, truth really is stranger than fiction. So the next story is a very sad one. It's very sad. An axe-wielding man attacked and killed his ex-wife in her front yard in New Orleans. This occurred in a New Orleans suburb at the home of 48-year-old Kimberly Owens. She shared the home with her mother, who sadly witnessed the attack. Authorities believe her 56-year-old ex-husband and former cop, Mark Owens, hid under the porch and then surprised Kimberly as she left for work on September 27th. The couple had been divorced for two years. So a 911 call came in around 8 a.m. Deputies responded to a report of a man attacking a woman. They found Kimberly Owens fatally injured, and they pronounced her dead at the scene. The call was made by her mother, who Mark Owens also pursued with an axe. Another call was made by a neighbor. Her mother was able to make it inside the house, luckily unscathed. He struck Kimberly several times with the axe, causing the fatal injuries. He later turned himself into police, and he's been charged with second-degree murder. The couple have won some together, but they had not been on good terms. Sheriff James Pullman said Kimberly Owens obtained a restraining order against her ex. He'd been arrested for dragging her into a home and holding her hostage. He'd accused her of having an affair with her ex-boss. She'd worked at an investment firm, performing accounting duties. Before that, she worked as an assistant to St. Bernard Parish President Dave Peralta, who her ex accused her of having the affair with. In 2014, after almost 10 years of marriage, they separated. And that's the same year he accused her of the affair. He had previously worked as a jail guard for the sheriff's office, but he left in 2000. And there wasn't any proof of an affair, and threats he made to Dave Peralta and Kimberly were reported to the police. No arrest was made, quite possibly due to the fact that Mark tried to commit suicide with a prescription overdose. On May 24, 2015, it's when he pulled Kimberly into a home and he held her hostage. He surrendered to the tactical force on the scene. That's when the restraining order was issued, and he was charged with one count of false imprisonment and battery. He agreed to get counseling and perform community service in exchange for not being prosecuted. But those close to the Owens knew that this wouldn't solve the problem, and it's not clear what prompted this brutal attack. In pretty big news, there's hope that the Long Island serial killer might have been finally caught. The Suffolk County District Attorney said that 51-year-old convicted killer, John Bitrolf, may be their man. The carpenter was arrested in 2014 and convicted of two cold cases of sex workers that occurred back in the 90s. They think he's the one that murdered victims found on Gilgo Beach. Previously, the DA declared there wasn't any link between him and the Gilgo murders. So in case you're unfamiliar with this case, the Long Island serial killer, or Gilgo Beach killer, 
is suspected of killing 10 to 16 workers over a period of 20 years. Their bodies were dumped near Gilgo Beach and Oak Beach near Long Island. And for a very long time, the case has been in the news. But police and armchair sleuths have never been sure at all if all the cases were connected and the work of one or more serial killers. The investigation began when 24-year-old Shannon Gilbert went missing on May 1st in 2010. She was working as an escort near Oak Beach. And while looking for her, police discovered another body. Near that one were three more bodies, all in the same area on the north side of the Ocean Parkway. They knew then that they had a serial killer on their hands. After expanding the search, they realized that some of the unsolved cases went back years. But like I said, they're not sure all the cases were the work of the same killer. Due to the positioning of the more recent bodies, police have made the connection to Bitrolf. The married father of two was linked through DNA cases in which he was convicted. A hit on his brother's DNA for a misdemeanor initially matched what was found on two sex workers who had been killed. The match was one of his brothers. Police narrowed that down to specifically John Bitrolf. He received consecutive 25-year-to-life terms for the two deaths. Some are skeptical that he's actually the serial killer they're seeking. John Ray, a lawyer for the family of the Gilgo Beach victim, Shannon Gilbert, doesn't think so. He said, There's just nowhere near enough evidence for that connection. It enables the district attorney's office to present to the public that they have found the serial killer and he's already in jail. The lead prosecutor on his conviction case said after the trial, there are remains of the victims at Gilgo that may be attributed to the handiwork of Mr. Bitrolf and the investigation is continuing. He's talking about remains that were found in 2011 on Gilgo Beach. Only the head, hands, and legs were found. The torso was found a decade earlier in Manorville, where Bitrolf lived with his family. So the investigation is still very active, and detectives are working full-time to solve it. It's really an interesting one to follow. There's also another possible break in a recent case that featured very prominently in the news. 13-year-old Abigail Williams and 14-year-old Liberty, Liberty German were murdered on a trail in Delphi, Indiana. This was in February of this year. This week, police arrested a man in Woodland Park, Colorado, that they've called a person of interest in the case. 31-year-old Daniel Nations was in two different jails in Indiana within days of the killings. So two weeks ago in Colorado, a mountain biker was fatally shot. Similarities between the case and the one of the murdered teens prompted police to look into Nations. He's currently in jail in Teller County, Colorado, for threatening hikers with a hatchet. This is very close to the area where the mountain biker was shot on September 19th. After Nations was arrested, they started putting all of this together. So when he was arrested, he was in a car with his wife and two children. In the car, they found a hatchet, a 22 caliber rifle, 
the same kind that was used in the murder of the mountain biker. Details in the case of the Delphi teens was very guarded. So investigators aren't saying what similarities that case might have to the more recent attack. Nations is on the Indiana Sex and Violent Offenders website and has an address of Greenwood, Indiana. That's a little over an hour's drive to Delphi. He was also convicted of a domestic battery felony in April. He's wanted for failure to appear in court as a sex offender. The most astounding aspect of the case is the most striking resemblance to the police sketch that was issued in the Delphi case. You seriously have to look this up. The man in the sketch has odd features. He has a large bulbous nose, a thin mouth, and very wide-set eyes. He's just not your average-looking guy. And Nations looks exactly like the sketch. Exactly. It's eerie. I know in the case of the murdered girls, Liberty German had recorded the voice of the man on her phone. A phrase saying, down the hill, was played for public in the hopes of someone recognizing it. I don't know how much was actually recorded on the girl's phone. Police have been very tight-lipped about the case, which is very smart. I fear that the whole attack was recorded. It's a very, very sad case. These poor little girls, they were just out for a walk, and they lost their lives. Hopefully, he's the guy, and they can proceed with prosecuting him. If they could convict based on resemblance to the sketch, he'd be on death row right now. So, for the most ridiculous story, we go to North Carolina. 28-year-old Matthew Phelps called 911 saying he may have killed his wife after taking too much cold medicine. He told the dispatcher, I had a dream, and then I turned on the lights and she's dead on the floor. I blood all over me, and there's a bloody knife on the bed. I think I did it. He blamed the incident on the cold medication and coracetin. I took more medicine than I should have. I took coracetin because I know it can make you feel good, so a lot of times I can't sleep at night, so I took some. When police made it to the home at 1.15 a.m., they found his wife, 29-year-old Lauren Ashley Nicole Phelps, dead from stab wounds. Matthew Phelps was arrested and is awaiting trial. So there's a debate over whether or not medicine could cause someone to commit this kind of crime. Some studies show that when taken in high doses, its main ingredient can cause hallucinations and sensations of physical distortion. Bayer, the maker of Corsedon, said in a statement, Patient safety is our top priority, and we continually monitor adverse effects regarding all of our products. There is no evidence to suggest that Corsedon is associated with violent behavior. Last year, Louis Chen, a Seattle doctor, was given 49 years in prison after a very similar claim. He killed his partner and baby. If convicted, Matthew Phelps could face the death penalty. So for the last story in the news, I thought I'd end on a little bit of a brighter note. Even though the story involves a death, despite the odds, the person involved lived a very long, full life. I'm talking about Lady Lucan, who this past week passed on at the age of 80. 
I didn't know of the case until I heard about it on My Favorite Murder. Formerly Veronica Duncan, or the Dowager Countess of Lucan, she married John Bingham, the seventh Earl of Lucan, in 1963. On November 7, 1974, things went awry. Their 29-year-old nanny of the three children, Sandra Rivet, was found dead in the basement. She had been bludgeoned with a lead pipe. The culprit, Lord Lucan himself. It seems he mistook the nanny for his wife, who he intended to kill instead. So he was a bit of a swarthy type. He was handsome and deeply in debt from gambling. He was in a nasty divorce with his wife and very concerned that he wouldn't get custody of the children. So on that November night, he went to the home at 46 Lower Belgrave Street in London. And when the nanny went to the basement kitchen to make tea for the lady, Lord Lucan attacked with the pipe. Lady Lucan went to see where the nanny had gotten with the tea, and he then attacked her with the pipe, hitting her four times. She got away after a nasty beating. From there, she ran to Plumber's Arms, which is a local pub nearby. She had stumbled into the pub saying, I think my neck has been broken. He tried to strangle me. Lord Lucan took off, driving to the home of a friend, Susan Maxwell Scott. He gave her a false story, saying he saw his wife being attacked by a man, but she turned around and accused him of hiring a hitman. So after that, he left. His abandoned car was found at the side of the road, and his whereabouts have never been known since. There have been sightings from all over the world, even to this day. Lady Lucan maintains that he died from suicide, saying he probably jumped off a ferry, throwing himself into propellers. She said in a recent documentary, I would say he got on the ferry and jumped off in the middle of the channel in the way of the propeller so that his remains wouldn't be found. I think quite brave. But supposedly friends of his told him that if he disappeared and there were no body, probate could not be granted on his estate for seven years. So he could bide his time, and by then his children would be old enough to have gained control over their trust money. There's even one crazy rumor that after driving to a private zoo and shooting himself, that he was fed to a tiger. Another said he lived out life in India under the nickname Jungle Berry. So regardless of what actually happened to him, he was never seen again and declared dead in 1999. Lady Lucan continued to live out her days in the same house where she almost lost her life. After not showing up for her daily walk in Green Park with a friend, police forced entry into her home and found her unresponsive on September 26th and she was declared deceased. The true mystery of what happened on that day in 1974 and what became of her estranged husband go to her with her grave. 